Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 33. Now, let me say something just briefly about Advent before we get into our message today. So Advent <clears throat> begins in the, the it's the first, um, it's, the, it's the weeks preceding Christmas. So this is the first Sunday of December, and it happens to be the first Sunday of Advent as we are leading up to Christmas. <clears throat> the word Advent means coming. And some people say, well, why do you, why do you, what's Advent? What's that all about? That's just some, like, tradition or thing that some churches do, but not all churches do. And that's true. Not all churches celebrate Advent. But we chose a few years back to begin to observe Advent as a reminder for us, because what Advent represents and what Advent means, remember what I just said, the word Advent means coming? Well, you might not find the word Advent in your Bible, depending on what Bible you have, but the Bible talks about the coming of the Lord, right? The Bible talks a lot about the coming of the Lord. In fact, the Bible begins to talk about the coming of the Lord all the way back in Genesis, and it continues to talk about the coming of the Lord all the way to the very end of the book of Revelation. So the coming of the Lord is not something unusual or out of the ordinary or strange. It is a common theme throughout the Scripture. The church took this time leading up to Christmas to celebrate what we call Advent because what is Christmas about? What's, well, let me rephrase that question. What is Christmas supposed to be about? Well, Christmas is supposed to be about the coming of Christ. And Jesus came in his birth. So the birth of the Savior marked the culmination of God's promises fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. All the promises of God to all of God's people, past, present, and future, find their ultimate fulfillment in and through Jesus Christ. There is no promise that God gives to us that is not fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are no promises that God gives to us that are apart from or separate from Jesus Christ. The promise of eternal life is only possible in Jesus Christ. Everything that God gives to us and promises to us is received in, made known in, made real to us in Jesus Christ. So God has an eternal plan. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, born in a manger in the most powerless manner imaginable to accomplish the most powerful work imaginable. 
That's God's eternal plan to save the world. And he has done just that. He has saved us. By grace through faith, we are safe and secure in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So rejoice, because today and in the weeks leading up to Christmas, I'm going to bring to you good tidings of great joy. I'm going to remind you the Savior has come. And I'm also going to remind you that he is coming again. Let me read to you from Jeremiah chapter 33, Jeremiah 33, verses 14 and through 16. The prophet Jeremiah, writing some 500 years before the birth of Jesus, five to 600 years before the birth of Jesus, he pins these words, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely and this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. Father in heaven, we ask that you would take this gospel message and that you would plant it deep in our hearts, that you would change us, renew our minds, transform us, and conform us to the image of the Son of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ that we would be your people, your church, your bride, Lord Jesus, that brings glory to you in this earth. Lord, in this Advent season that we have entered into this Sunday morning, Father, I ask that you would help us to be a people that remember, that are constantly reminded and constantly reminding others what this season is about. That our very lives, Lord, not just our words, not just our songs, but even our lives, God, would communicate the message of Advent, that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that you came. We thank you for every promise given to us and made sure in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the hope that we have of a day coming when there is no more sin, no more death, no more tears, no more sadness, and no more suffering. And that day is possible and will come because you have come, Lord Jesus. You were born, you did live, you died, you rose, and you ascended. And one day you will come again. And we look to that day and we thank you, Father, that we are called your children. Do a work in us, God, for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the promised branch of righteousness. That's the way Jeremiah describes him in this scripture here. He is the promised branch of righteousness that God caused to be born and to grow up to execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. We can't lose sight of that. That God caused this branch of righteousness to grow up, to bring judgment and righteousness in the earth. 
And Jesus has done that, and he will continue to execute judgment and righteousness in the earth until the consummation of all things and for all eternity. The work of Jesus is a finished work. Jesus hung on the cross, and the words he uttered are, it is finished. You're not working for your salvation. I'm not working for my salvation. Jesus didn't do a partial work. He didn't do an almost complete work. He completely saved you on the cross. You're not waiting to find out whether you will be saved. If you are trusting in Christ, if you are a child of God, born again by the Spirit of God, then you are saved and the work of your salvation is finished. There's not anything you can add to it. Not one single thing can you add to the work of salvation that Jesus finished for you on the cross. But that doesn't mean that there is not still a work taking place in the earth. Because God is still working. Don't ever think he's not. He's not working to save you any longer. But there is a work taking place, and we're going to talk about that today. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. So, the work of Christ is a finished work, but, but that's a work that's continuing to bring transformation to everything that that transformation is intended for. Listen to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God says this, listen, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's not, that doesn't mean that you can just quote Scripture like a, like a parrot and God's obligated to make what you say come true because you attached a Scripture to it. That's not what Isaiah 55, 10, and 11 means. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11 is talking about the Word of God that God would send. That is Jesus Christ, the living Word, the Word that was with God, the Word that was God in the beginning the word through which everything was created. And, 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 and everything that was created was created not only by him, but it was created for him, the Bible says. And when God sent his word, he didn't send it empty. He didn't send it to not accomplish what he sent it forth to accomplish. He sent it for a purpose, and he said it would not return void. And Jesus returned to heaven, and Jesus did not return void. The word came and it prospered in the thing for which it was sent. But I want you to understand this, church, that God is still speaking. His word is still going forth. Jesus, the living word of God, born in a manger, finished his work on the cross. But that work is still accomplishing what God pleases. And it is still prospering in all the things for which he sent it. Were you alive when Jesus was born? No, you weren't. Does that mean that God didn't send Jesus for you because you weren't alive yet? 
No, he absolutely sent Jesus for you. As you hear God's word today, know that you are one of those things for which God sent his word. His word is right on time and it will accomplish what he sent it to accomplish even thousands of years later and it will still be accomplishing things for thousands of years to come into eternity. God's word and God's promise is always on time. The first specific promise of the coming of the Savior, because remember, Advent is about the coming of Christ. The first specific promise of the coming of the Savior is recorded for us in Genesis 3.15, where God tells the serpent that he will put enmity between the seed of the woman, who is Christ, and the seed of the serpent, who are all those who belong, who do not belong to Jesus. As the man and the woman listened, God tells the serpent that the seed of the woman will one day come and crush the serpent's head. And that promise of a head-crushing, devil-destroying Savior was made some 4,000 years before the actual birth of Jesus. Did you hear me? God made a promise of a coming Savior 4,000 years before the Savior would come. Now, you know, humanity is no different 4,000 years ago than it is today. We have different stuff, right? We have things they don't have, but we have the most important things, the, most, the things that we need to pay attention to the most, they had those things just like we have them today. They had hopes and dreams just like you have hopes and dreams. They had sin just like you have sin. They had struggles just like you had struggles. They needed a Savior just like you need a Savior. And so God makes this promise in the hearing of the first man and the first woman, and he tells the serpent, I'm going to send through this woman a seed that's going to come one day and crush your head. And Adam and Eve heard that promise. And there was a son born to them, and there was another son born to them. And before long, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Now remember, the serpent heard, and he never forgot what God told him, that through that woman, through a child born of that woman, that child would crush the head of that serpent. And what does the enemy do? He does exactly what he did in the beginning with Adam and Eve. He did exactly what he does today with, with all of us. He deceives us in order to bring death and destruction to our life. And Cain becomes angry with his brother. And what does Cain do? Cain kills his brother Abel. Whether you realize it or not, it was the enemy's attempt to stop the promise of God from coming forth. Because what the enemy has always been focused on, and what he's still focused on, is the seed of that woman that crushes his head. So here is this promise 4,000 years before Jesus is, Jesus is actually born. The birth of Jesus did not come late. 
In fact, it came right on time. It came exactly according to God's plan and God's purpose that was already established in eternity. God, unlike us, God does not react to events in time and space as we do. He is the sovereign Lord over all of his creation. Everything that takes place within and outside his created order is part of his eternal plan and purpose. We can be sure that the events that are unexpected and unexplained to us are never that way to God. God sent his son to be born 4,000 years after his prophetic declaration recorded for us in Genesis 3.15. God sent his son right on time exactly according to his eternal plan and purpose. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, Paul the apostle writes these words, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of as sons. God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than our own. Thankfully, the fullness of time is in God's control and not ours. If you can imagine, if man were in charge of determining when and how things would happen, Jesus would likely have shown up long before he was born that night in Bethlehem and I can almost guarantee you that he would not have been born the way he was born. As a poor, defenseless child lying in a manger. We would have had a much grander plan for the entrance of Jesus into the world. The only problem is our grand plans are not God's plans. Because God's thoughts and God's ways are not like ours. And we can just read the Bible and look at how God has worked through history and we see whether he's dealing with nations or whether he's dealing with individual lives, God works in ways that we most often would not because it does not make sense to us. God's thoughts and ways are higher than our own because God's view is from a spiritual vantage point that gives him a perspective impossible for us to have in the natural. We cannot see what God can see. But here's what we can see church. We can see Jesus. Therefore our faith is not in our natural ability to see or to know. Our faith is in Christ who has come. And who has been revealed to us by the spirit of God. The coming of Jesus teaches us that God does not do things according to our own timing, nor does he do things according to our ways. In other words, God does not do things simply because it's what we prefer or what we prescribe. God's ways are not our ways, and we can be thankful for that. We should be thankful for that. God makes his Declaration. He makes this declaration concerning his thoughts and his ways. Again, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
The coming of Jesus should remind us of this very important truth about God and his ways. It should encourage us to trust God in his thoughts and in his ways that are infinitely higher than our own. His plan and purpose may not be our own, but as we, will, as we learn to trust him more, we will come to realize that his ways and his thoughts that are infinitely higher than our own are ways and thoughts that we are to trust in and that we can trust safely in. Jesus has come. You are safe and you are secure because he has come. In those times when we're tempted to doubt God because we can't see the point or we can't make sense of the situation, we are to be reminded that God has declared, or what God has declared about himself. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts than our thoughts. The birth of Jesus teaches us this. It reaffirms this. Every year we celebrate Christmas, we need to be reminded that God and his ways are not like ours, that God does not do things the way we do things. And we realize that the coming of Jesus, though it is a past event, it has continuing implications for the present and the future. God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than ours, but they include us as objects of his salvation and the expression of his life and of his body in the earth. God's plans aren't excluding you. God didn't just make plans and, and then just happen to think, well, I think I'll just include humans in my plan. No, you were part of the eternal plan of God. The coming of Jesus to this earth is all about you because you have become one with him through faith. Because you are now called the body of Christ. You are called, as Paul writes in an in Ephesians 5, you are now bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. The picture of the man and the woman being joined back together after the woman was taken out of the man. Then we see the picture of God bringing the man and the woman back together and the two shall become one flesh. That's a picture of Christ and his church. If you are in Christ today, you are one with him. You're not just a thought in his eternal plan. You have become one with him in his plan and in his purpose for creation. Christmas reminds us of that. That's why Christmas is to be the greatest celebration that we can have. Because it reminds us what God has done for us in saving us and making us his very own. Advent is about the coming of Christ, both of them. His coming at his birth and his coming when he finally returns to this earth again. The birth of Jesus in his first coming guarantees the return of Jesus in his final coming. Advent is associated with the birth of Jesus and is celebrated in the lead up to Christmas. It is the birth of Christ that becomes the focal point of the season. But it should not exclude or diminish in any way the promise of the final coming of Jesus. Just as Jesus was born in the flesh, he shall one day return to this earth in the flesh. And until his final coming, we have been given a mission to accomplish in this earth, to make disciples of the nations and to see the knowledge of the glory of God 
fill this earth as the waters cover the sea. As we fulfill our mission, our focal point is not the birth of Jesus. It is the return of Jesus to this earth to rule and to reign. The birth of Jesus secures our hope in the return of Jesus. It is his return we look to even as we celebrate his birth. And this is why the world and the sinfulness of man seeks to turn Christmas into anything and everything except what it is truly about. Christmas is about one thing, the coming of Christ. And this coming, his coming, in his birth and his coming, in his return, is to judge this world and to establish his kingdom forever. It's not about one or the other, for the birth of Jesus cannot be separated from the return of Jesus. He was born for judgment and for righteousness, therefore he shall return for judgment and for righteousness. And you begin to understand why the world doesn't like this message of Christmas. For many people in the world, this is forgotten. Christmas is about anything and everything except Christ and his coming. It's about Santa Claus, it's about gifts, it's about food, it's about love, it's about all kinds of things. But we as the children of God, we cannot forget and we can't let the world forget what Christmas is about. We must contend for the faith, for the effort to destroy it has not gone away. I want to make something really clear. Christ has finished his work. Christ is victorious. The victory you have in Christ is never, ever, ever in question. It doesn't matter what the world looks like. It doesn't matter what the news says. It doesn't matter what war breaks out, what earthquake, what tsunami, what death and destruction occurs across this globe. It doesn't matter. The victory Christ has won for us in the cross, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, is secure. Christ will come back to this earth one day. This earth will be made new. We will live on this earth, reign on this earth with Christ. There will be no more death. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sickness, no more sadness, no more destruction. But that day is not today. We still live in a world on an earth where death is real, sickness is real, death and destruction and sadness is real. But I don't say that to diminish the victory we have in Christ. I say that to remind you that we don't focus on death. We don't focus on the sadness. We don't focus on the destruction. We focus on the victory that we have in Christ. And Christmas comes around every year and it reminds us of that victory. But I hope to God that your reminder of the victory you have in Christ doesn't just come once a year at Christmas time. We contend for the faith. Our victory is secure, but that does not mean the battle is over. The war is won, the outcome is settled, but the battle still rages. For there are men yet to be saved, and there is a kingdom to be established on an earth and a creation still under the curse. The prayer Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a prayer of warfare. Did you hear me, church? That is a prayer of warfare. It's a prayer that pictures for us the advancing of his kingdom that is swallowing up all things on earth 
and making them as they are in heaven. This, this is what Christmas is really about. It is about his kingdom coming. It is about his will being done. It is about the kingdom of light swallowing up the darkness of this world. The world's effort to make Christmas irrelevant and just another happy holiday that is void of all divine intent and purpose is not accidental. It is malicious and it is sinister in its design to minimize and completely remove Christ as the focal point of Christmas. There is a very specific reason for the enemy's effort in this, and this is why we must continue to contend for the faith. The battle is not new. In fact, it is very old and has continued throughout the ages. Listen to Jude, the brother of Jesus. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you, Concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If that is not a perfect description of what's happening to the celebration of Christmas in our secular culture, then nothing is. And that is why Jesus is being removed from Christmas. We are contending against those who seek to deny the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. For the world, Christmas has become a day about feasting and exchanging gifts, for celebrating unity and diversity and love. All of that sounds good on the surface. And in many respects, there's nothing wrong with that. Except that for the world, the emphasis is to remove Christ as the focal point and replace him with man. The enemies of Christ seek to make Christmas a day to celebrate values the world believes we must embrace as humans in celebration of man, not in celebration of Christ. The ultimate purpose behind all of this, as it was in the garden, is to oppose God by normalizing sin and promoting it as an acceptable way of life. This is not freedom, as some would claim. It is rebellion and it is tyranny to sin and to death. The very things that Jesus came and died to deliver us from. Do you realize that? Jesus came, he died to deliver us from sin and death. And yet, through our effort, whether it's actively or passively, as the church sits by and allows Christmas to be taken over and secularized, what we're really doing, we think it's freedom. It's not freedom. It's absolute tyranny. We are... Inviting ourselves to be brought back under the power of sin and death. The very things God came to deliver us from. And the world can't see that. They're blind to that reality. But the church should see that. And the church should make known that reality. We continue to contend for the faith today because the faith is still being opposed and contorted 
by the enemies of God and of Christ. The advent of Christ reminds us that God kept his promise to send the one who would deliver us from sin and death and save us from the works of the devil. His coming reminds us that he will come again to finally and completely put all of his enemies underfoot, the last enemy being death. And there is coming a day when death is no more. Death has no power over those who belong to Jesus, but one day death will be no more. It will be removed completely from God's new creation. Christmas reminds us of this promise as we celebrate his birth and remember that he will come again. Christmas, the birth of Christ, and his return should motivate us to live purposeful as we look to his return and carry his name and his gospel to the world that we live in. Jesus came with a mission, and he has imparted that mission to us. Jesus came with this mission to destroy the works of the devil. Mission accomplished. He's done it. You say, well, there's still a lot of evil works going on. Yes, there are, because there are still evil men. There is still a curse on this earth. We still live in these flesh and blood bodies that are still captivated by sin. But one day, because we have been saved, we have been delivered, we will even be delivered from these flesh and blood bodies. That struggle with sin and sickness that are dying every day. But the man on the inside of us, Paul says, the inner man, the man of the Spirit, he's being renewed every day, even as your outer man perishes every day. The advent of Christ reminds us of these promises. There's coming a day when those things that we struggle with now in this earth, in this flesh, under this curse, will be no more. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and he has done absolutely that. And he has given us the authority to continue that work of tearing down the darkness in order to build up the kingdom of his light. First John 3, 8, He who sins, he who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The mission of Jesus was never in doubt. Only sinful men and the rulers of this age that crucified him ever thought that they could stop the purposes of God by murdering the Son of God. But had they known what would truly transpire, what would truly be accomplished through the cross of Christ, the Bible says those rulers would never have crucified the Lord of glory. And we see that the enemy has tried to stop the promised seed from, the manif from manifesting since the very beginning. We see the evil work of the enemy throughout all human history, long before the birth of Jesus and long since the birth of Jesus. When the Son of Man was manifested at his birth, the enemy tried even then to murder him. We have the account of all the babies that were killed at the hands of King Herod trying to wipe out this child that was born, this Savior that was born. And though he was unsuccessful at his birth, the enemy eventually succeeded. Jesus was murdered on the cross. But those rulers had no idea what would actually transpire through his death on that cross. 
Had they known, they would not have crucified him. But they did not know because it was the mystery that God kept from them since before the ages, the Bible teaches us. The enemy murdered Christ and brought about the death of Christ on the cross, a death that was preordained by the Father from before the ages. Jesus eternally is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. The death of Christ on the cross was the purpose of God to bring about the destruction of the works of the devil and to redeem for himself a people for all eternity. The enemy could not stop the purposes of God then, nor can he, nor can any man stop God's purposes today. The advent of Christ and the celebration of Christmas reminds us that the eternal purposes of God cannot be stopped by any devil or demon or depraved humanity. We contend for the faith, for our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So as we begin this Advent season, let's get straight what it is we're celebrating. We are celebrating Jesus the Christ. Jesus the babe who was born in Bethlehem in a manger and Jesus, the King of kings, who will one day split the sky and return to reign on this earth with his bride, the church, forever and ever. Amen. I want to invite you to come to the table. Get ready. We'll sing the song sometime during this Advent season. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Savior has come. And greater joy yet, because He will come again. This is why we celebrate. Not only at Christmas, but each week we celebrate at this table. This table of the Lord as we proclaim His death. Paul says we proclaim the death of the Lord even until He comes again. Don't let your Christmas just be a celebration of his birth that was. Let it be a celebration of his life that is and of his coming that is yet to be. Christian, as you trust in Jesus, I invite you to come with childlike faith to this table. Eat this bread and drink this cup and celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Here's your charge today, church. Don't let the manipulation and the marketing of this world system and the enemies of God dull you or lull you into their version of Christmas or happy holidays. Christmas is about the coming of Christ. His first coming as a babe and His final coming as judge and king. The reality of Jesus as king of kings coming to judge the world in its Sinful rejection of Him challenges. It contends with the world's version of Christmas. It should, and so should we. Because the world's version of Christmas is rooted and grounded in sin. Sin not because it includes Santa Claus or St. Nicholas, but because it excludes or minimizes Jesus. Jesus is the gift and the gift giver that cannot be excluded or minimized or else there is no Christmas. Sin, not because we feast or party or celebrate, we should and greater than the world ever could. 
For what greater reason could we have to celebrate than the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's sin because we feast and party and celebrate for reasons other than Christ. We must contend against the sin of Je- the sin that Jesus is no longer being the reason and the focus of Christmas. Humanistic and pagan love has been substituted for the real love of God that judged and conquered sin at the cross. Advent is about the coming of Christ to judge sin and to conquer it, not so that we can continue in it, but so that we can live free from it and its death and its destruction. Christmas is about freedom, the freedom from sin that has been gifted to us in Christ. Merry Christmas. Rejoice. Your Savior has come. and He will come again. Amen.